0: your performance management can be far more effective if you're also focused at least as much, if not more, on a teachable way, on teaching your expertise, which is sales excellence, to others. And managers get get so overwhelmed and sidetracked and all this firefighting and up, urgencies that come up during the day that they never get time. They don't have as much time to get around to coaching. And so I would suggest that anybody listening to this who's in a sales management role, just take a look at your calendar right now.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Kevin Davis. Kevin's the founder of Topline Leadership and author of the book titled The Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness. And today, Kevin and I are talking about the importance of hiring coachable sellers. And we get into why coachability is becoming even more important than it has been in the past. We'll dig into how to screen for coachability during a job interview and talk about the three traits of coachability that, as a hiring manager, you should be looking for And then we also talk about three specific tactics for identifying these coachable sellers. All this and much, much more. Before we get to Kevin, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, Andy. Great to be here. Great to talk with you again. So, where have you been sheltering these past many months? (laughs) In the Reno-Tahoe area. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. It's uh, it's a nice
0: place to be. A little smoky now. The California fires are drifting over this way, but we don't have any fires locally, but uh,
1: it's pretty bad down in the Bay Area. Yeah, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you, because... September is sort of the fire season. Yep. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah, so yeah, same thing true here in Southern California. It's September, October are the ones you want to watch out for and the Santa Ana winds start kicking up. So Exactly. All right, well, today we're going to talk about uh, the importance of hiring coachable sellers among some other topics. Um, and this is something you'd written about and it's 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 interesting. It's I've been thinking about this a lot in context of Covid and increase in virtual work and so on, and I've been thinking. Yeah, I was thinking back to the days that when I was hiring people for positions in Europe and Asia and Australia. I was opening offices in those places and and hiring sellers and sales managers there. And and certainly coachability was was one. But and but here, you know, people talking about that a lot. But there were like other characteristics I thought were. Equally as important. I'm just curious in your take on that because, you know, I thought okay, I've got somebody remote, they've got to be self-sufficient to some degree. You know, emotionally self-sufficient. <laughs> they, if not, yeah, uh, you know, intellectually self-sufficient on the product, they have to be uh, resilient. They have to be resourceful. So, in addition to coachability, and we're going to dig into that, but. I don't hear people talking enough about screening for those characteristics. Right? If we're gonna if you're gonna hire a sales team, or if you're moved your sales team virtually, and you think you're gonna keep a large chunk of them, if not all of them, virtual for some foreseeable period of time, aren't there more attributes we should be screening for? Absolutely. Uh, you know,
0: obviously, uh, somebody that is uh, self-directed and motivated is essential because um, they have to be able to work independently on their own and uh, having clearly defined process and uh, standards of excellence so mm-hmm. that we are not just communicating what we are bare minimums, but I would say our, our best producers, you know, what does what your top salesperson do differently in terms of their skills and, and wills or attitudes and and really look to look to that as uh, you know as some of the the, the qualities and characteristics you you need to look for
1: well I was just thinking of this in the sort of the larger context as inherent in this whole move to virtual which you know was forced on us we had to do but we're now making this assumption that everybody has the emotional makeup to work remotely, right? And especially in sales. And and it's like, yeah, I don't think that's the case. I mean, again, back to the when I was hiring people for these offices overseas, I was like, that was really the first thing I was I was really more focused on is how would these people be able to survive on their own, coming from environments oftentimes where they're working for companies and they were, you know, office-based and out in the field, you know, the hybrid type role. And and I just wonder. Hmm. Is this really where the rubber's really gonna meet the road for companies that continue to sort of push down this virtual road? Is what if yeah, you know, a substantial portion of their team just can't operate in that environment? We're just assuming they can.
0: Well, uh obviously you're you're gonna have problems. I think if 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 you're managing an outside sales team, they've always been virtual and you know, as a manager, you could fly in and join them on important mm-hmm. customer meetings and things of that nature. So, you know, you had a chance to observe them. I mean, and so that's, I think, one of the big changes is m- many of the inputs that sales managers had ways to observe their salespeople in the past have, have gone away. Um, and, you know, joining a salesperson on an important Zoom meeting, <laughs> I mean, that that's such a small percentage. Of course, the salesperson is going to be well prepared for that, right? It's an important meeting, but what I like to see when I would do a ride along with a salesperson is how are they interacting with all the customers, the other customers that call them. Mm-hmm. How do you know what kind of calls are they receiving? I mean, I mean today, if you happen to work with a salesperson, they don't want you riding in their car.
1: That's true. Not for an extended period of time. Yeah. You're,
0: you're, you're back in the other rental car with a mask on. And, (laughs) and if you happen to have a customer meeting, you're probably doing it in the lobby of a company standing 10 feet away from the customer. I mean, so we've lost our ability to observe in many ways that we had in the past. And so getting back to your original question, it's, it's self-directed. It's, it's the people. I think a lot of outside salespeople have already been working in this virtual world. It's the inside salespeople that are now forced to, uh, you know, work from home. That uh, you know their life is, is is changed. So you do need to pay attention to, you know, what are those? What are what are there? I mean, do they have kids running around and uh, you know kids working from home? I mean, there's just so many different issues to to deal with in this challenging time, uh, but. You know, I mean, according to the the research, this is not going to go away, and and people can <laughs> well, be more productive and make more calls from home. So,
1: you know. yeah, Well, no, I just it's more I, sort of you know thoughts about the nature of work itself. We've we've been office centric by and large, as you said, field salespeople notwithstanding. Um, and so, increasingly, as we switched to inside sales, we've we've built up and up and up the the sales teams in the offices. And I said, just I worry about this. Just sort of inherent assumption that that not just for salespeople, you know, workers in general, that they can go do this for an extended period of time without sort of the the human contact, the in-person human contact. It totally changes, I
0: think, the responsibility of the sales manager uh, to provide more consistent and purposeful communication and coaching to the team as a whole and to individuals on the team. Uh, Otherwise people who work from home, if they don't have interaction with the team and they don't, they don't connect as much with the team, they, they do develop some sense of isolation and, you know, I'm all in this just for me and it's only, only me here. And they become, become disconnected from your company. And, that's
1: not good. I mean, yeah, I think, well, that's what I said. I think it's just going to be, I think this is, I don't say the other shoe that's going to drop, but it is a shoe that's going to drop at some point is that, I don't know, I don't know how big a percentage of workers it is, but certainly less than the number that are working from home currently that over time just can't perform in that environment i mean it's it's, it's gonna be really interesting to see, so well, yeah, it is you know i mean to segue into the you know
0: the coachability topic, how mm-hmm. important is that
1: well it becomes very right, I mean, I think that this is this is this idea of hiring coachable people being conscious about hiring coachable people as supposed to serve sort of have a nice to a nice to have, but being very conscious about it. you know it's relatively recent, but it's it is. Yeah, to me, it's like number one thing, right?
0: Uh, I completely agree. Um, so let me let me ask you, Andy. Uh, sure. Do you do you know the origin of the word coach? Uh,
1: no, I could stall you long enough to look it up here on <laughs> online, but but uh, <laughs> no, tell me what it is. Well, it dates
0: back to the uh, England in the fourteen and fifteen hundreds, where mm-hmm. uh, if somebody wanted to move from point A to point B faster, a horse-drawn coach would enable them to do that. Right, And that's where the word coach comes from. So I think the important operational thing there is that the person has to want to move from point A to point B, and the coach helps them get there faster. And so when you start looking at coachability, obviously – the person has to want to get better. They have to be committed to implementing your coaching. Um, or they don't really want to move from point A to point B, and then you have a bigger problem.
1: Well, so that's an interesting point, is they have to want to improve. Now, there's there's more being written. I just recently read a book by Roger Connors called Get a Coach, Be a Coach. Um which is advocating that increasingly people have to become their own coach. Yeah. I mean, what's, what is your thought on that? This whole idea of self directed coaching is that? It- yeah, I completely uh,
0: agree with that as the end game. But um, a sales manager can help salespeople to. I mean, what percentage of opportunities in a salesperson's funnel does the manager actually get to coach the salesperson on? It's just a it's a small percentage, obviously, and so. If we can help that salesperson to understand how the sales manager coaches, because we're asking better questions, we're provoking thought, we're um, helping that salesperson ask questions of him or herself that they, you know, maybe wouldn't be asking before an important meeting. Mm-hmm. It's helping them to to learn how to coach, and then hopefully they will apply that that skill with all of the other opportunities that there are in their funnel and. Speed up their cycle of improvement and help them get better faster
1: yeah i mean i, I so i'm sort of torn on this I absolutely agree that self this idea of self directed coaching is important because companies aren't haven't stepped <laughs> for two reasons one is a companies aren't stepping up to do it, uh, but b even in the absence of companies stepping up, you still have responsibility for self improvement um, and But what's what's interesting me in in sales is that you're here, I think, is one of the professions in the business world that is most yeah, sort of performance oriented, right? And you really get out of it what you put into it. I still feel too small a fraction of people make that investment. And I was wondering it's because in some respects we keep wanting people to do this, make this investment. Because we think that sales actually should be treated as more than a job.
0: Um, when you say sales is, should be treated more than a job, what do you mean by that? Well, it's
1: if yeah, if you're just going to the office nine to five, you're doing a desk job, da, da 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 da. Yeah, theoretically, right? You sort of saying, well, gosh, the, not a whole lot of incentive to listen to a podcast, read a book, read right. an article, so on. To get better, but in sales, your your compensation is tied to this. Yeah, but I still see, on general, too few sellers making that investment. So I call it—you know—they're treating it just as a job, as opposed to I don't know, maybe a lifestyle.
0: You know, obviously the the best ones do, and when you start to think about what are your best ones do that your average and mediocre producers don't do, certainly you know this whole idea of improvement. But I I would offer to, you know, flip the coin on that and say mm-hmm. that one of the potential reasons why uh so many salespeople are perceived by managers as uncoachable is because the manager is providing poor quality coaching.
1: <laughs> well, yes. Absolutely, absolutely, right? I mean I mean, how many managers, how many managers have been trained how to coach?
0: Well, it, it, yeah, and and with the whole pandemic, it's if you've lost your ability to observe your salespeople in action, the sales manager's natural instinct is to fall back on what they can still see, which is activities and sales results. And that's what I call scorecard coaching. It's it's a way of, you know, like if you're uh, uh, you know in, in the game of golf, if you gave your scorecard to a coach and said, hey, what do I need to do to get better? <laughs> the coach can't really help you. You know, well, don't mm-hmm. make a bogey on par threes. <laughs> you know, I mean, and yet many managers kind of rely on scorecard coaching now because they have difficulty observing their salespeople in action. And so they're just kind of managing the numbers. So I would advise that managers really look at, you know, getting more involved, get, making more proactive. Uh, and purposeful connections with your salespeople individually and collectively.
1: I mean, well, and use embrace technology like ring DNA yeah. that provides you a bill with their conversational AI product to record calls and, and um, either self-coach them as an individual or for you know managers surface coachable moments in the calls where you can come in and, and help your reps get better.
0: Absolutely. You've got to take your time and make sure that you have the technology and the tools. Uh, to see what's going on, and and then provide better quality coaching, uh, because you know coaching by the numbers is kind of looking in the rearview mirror. We've got to have the purpose of helping salespeople get better and make sure that the advice we're giving them this month is better than the advice we gave them last month.
1: Well, right, okay. So that brings up an interesting point because I've raised this this question before. Is is yeah you know, if you look at this idea of performance improvement as a process that that sellers go through is I've made this statement before and I'll ask you this or I've asked the question before is is if you say okay well if performance improvement is a process and the rate at which a process moves is is based on the rate determining step is that I believe for reps improvement the rate determining step it's just what you said. It's the rate at which their manager gets better.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I mean, yeah. I don't think sellers can get better any faster at a rate faster than their manager gets better.
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a great observation, Andy. Uh, no question. Um, and from a manager's perspective, uh, uh, you can influence your salespeople, and you can control yourself. So, what can you, as a sales manager, do better or differently to make a more meaningful connection to each of your
1: salespeople and mm-hmm. speed up their cycle of learning. So it brings up a bigger question, which is yeah, one that I was planning on asking a little bit later, but I'll bring it up now because you're talking about you know, how we help our, how we enable our sales managers to be better coaches, because. The research shows that the most important thing a manager can do to improve the performance of their people is to effective coaching. Mm-hmm. So you look at our annual spend as an industry on sales training, it's like $20 billion a year, of which a tiny fraction is spent on training sales managers. I have a uh, guest on a show named Peter Economy. He's written a book about first-time managers. He writes for Inc. Magazine. And he said the, av- the average age at which a person gets their first leadership training is like forty one or forty two years old, after they've been a manager for ten years on average. Yep. So we put these people on a job and we expect them to perform, but we do nothing to prepare them. And so I'm, I've yeah I've been doing this informal poll of people, and I, actually I wrote about it on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago and got a handful, a couple of handful of responses. But I've been you know tell, asking other people it's like, well, who taught you how to sell? You know, other than your own experience, you know what were the big major influences on you in learning how to yep. sell, and invariably, the number one answer is always the coach or manager. Yep. So I'm like, okay, we know that effective coaching is the thing that we can do to provide the biggest uplift in sales performance. We know that we have managers who are not trained to be effective coaches, and yet we spend. Billions, $20 billion a year on training salespeople. What if we flip that and spent that $20 billion on training sales managers instead? Well, it's music to my ears. I just. uh, (laughs) Well, but why why don't we
0: do it? (laughs) We know there's a return there. We're just uh, releasing now uh, a new online course called the Sales Manager's Guide to Great online course. And I think part of the problem in the past is. Uh, it's been difficult. It's more costly to bring managers together than salespeople because they're spread out, and there's a reluctance to bring them out of the field and and put them into uh, a training. And then they get back to the office after they attended the two day leadership summit. If if the company did do that, and they've got you know they two days of travel plus the two days in the training, and they got four days of stuff they got to dig through when they're supposed to be implementing the training. I mean, it's just, so I think a new model for sales manager education that is a remote model that delivers it up in bite-sized chunks uh, accessible from any device is something that uh, will enable sales managers to get better faster
1: and coach the way they should. Well, and let's get back to this model of self-directed coaching for managers. Yeah. Yeah, I I still feel like in sales, though, and this is is that companies have, by and large, abdicated the responsibility to to improve the performance of their their sellers and their sales managers.
0: Well, I think there's two there's two issues here. There's a many companies kind of assume that uh, you know a great salesperson will make a terrific sales manager, but the skills uh, of managing and leading a sales team are completely different than selling skills. That's that's one point. And then many companies will deliver a general management training program and include the sales managers in the audience, but the sales managers are sitting there in their own minds thinking you know, <laughs> sales pe- managing sales people is different than managing quality control or production or anything else. So this they kind of maybe don't take in as much as they might otherwise because they have this self-perception that they're on an island and they do something that's unique to themselves they face challenges like you know the highly productive salesperson that suddenly becomes stuck in a rut mm-hmm. the prima donna sales rep who who thinks to treat is wonderful with customers and and then dumps all over everybody inside the company, treats them horribly, um, and thinks the world owes them a favor. Um, you have the 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 you know the disillusioned beginner, mm-hmm. right? I mean, who's kind of hit that wall and isn't seeing the success that he or she thought they would, and how you deal with that. I mean, these are all challenges that are unique to a sales manager's role. And many, you know, many sales managers haven't really ever, uh, you know, been educated on how to do it. In fact, I'll share this. Yeah, none None. of them. Yeah. Go ahead. Eleanor Eleanor Roosevelt had this quote, which is great. Um, She said, uh, "Learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself."
1: Well, so so here's a question for you. And this is the topic I'm exploring a lot on the show with other guests. Is, in my opinion, we we fundamentally manage sales the same way we've been doing it for hundred years. Yeah, you know, we've we've got this you know, senior sales leader, VP, CRO, whatever title we give them these days, and we assume since they're in that role that they are an expert in all these various areas you just sort of started talking about, you know, in mindset and motivation and psychology, right? You know, you're talking about people in a slump, how you get people out of a slump, in performance improvement, which is a distinct skill itself, performance coaching. Yeah, I can sort of create this long list of things that we assume, somebody assumes, they're the expert in that. And they're assuming that the next level down, they have some expertise in that as well. And yet these people have never, ever been trained in order to do it. Yeah. It seems like we have to have sort of radically rethink how we manage sales. I mean, for instance, why should, do managers need to coach? Why shouldn't we have specialized coaches? yeah we're doing specialized sales roles. we've got BDRs, SDRs, AEs, AMs, CSMs. And it works yeah, it still needs to be fine-tuned and tweaked, but yeah, it, it can work. Um, why aren't we specializing management roles? Why aren't we specializing staff roles to improve performance? Uh, that's a good point.
0: I think uh, I have seen some organizations that have designated the position of Sales coach, I've definitely seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the challenge is that when you do that, essentially you give your sales managers the freedom to not be responsible for coaching.
1: Yeah, that's not their job. Their job is to manage the team to hit a number. Yeah. All right. We
0: have a we have a designated sales coach who teaches them how to sell. You know, and it's the same thing like the hey. Sales training is going to take care of that. Uh, my job is to manage the the numbers and look. I sales performance management is definitely part of the equation. It's you have to communicate to individual salespeople and the team what the company expects in terms of behaviors, activities, and results. That's absolutely true. But mm-hmm. your performance management can be far more effective if you're also Focused, at least as much, if not more, on a teachable way, on teaching your expertise, which is sales excellence, to others, and we, they managers they get so overwhelmed and sidetracked and all this firefighting and and stuff urgencies that come up during the day that that they just you know they never get time. They don't have as much time to get around to coaching. And so I would would suggest that anybody listening to this who's in a sales management role, just take a look at your calendar right now. How many coaching sessions do you have scheduled with your salespeople? Because we can complicate this but it is very simple if you want to be a better coach it starts with committing part of your calendar to coaching on a regular basis and there's a lot of different types of coaching conversations you can have you know top 5 deals in your funnel you want to pick deals at various stages in the in the funnel you can do a one-on-one Monthly performance review. You can do a loss review, a, a post mortem. You can do uh, role playing. You can review the call that Ring DNA helped you record and 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 play it back and coach the salesperson. I mean, there's a multitude of teachable things that a sales manager can do because the sales manager is the the most capable seller on the team. And the question is how effectively our sales managers teaching their expertise. And when they do get that, when they buy off on that and they commit to it with their calendar, their sales performance management improves exponentially because they're not just talking about numbers and how many calls the salesperson made. They're actually talking about specific, tangible things the salesperson can do to get better and they essentially become a teacher.
1: Mm-hmm. Well the thing is I think with a lot of frontline managers is and not too dissimilar when I, I got promoted pretty quickly into frontline manager, you know, maybe 20 months into my my first sales job. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I wasn't a sales expert. I'd been selling for a year and a half, two years. I mean I, I just and this is you know just a topic that you know we well, I get back to this idea about hiring specialized coaches and so on, is is I think it's unfair to expect frontline managers who are newly promoted, we shouldn't have the expectation of their sales experts because they're not. But coaches could be.
0: Well, you know, i tell you what, what I've seen in that when, they, when companies commit to that career progression of sales coach followed, I mean, it is usually the sales coach position is the stepping stone to become the manager. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and what does that say? Self,
1: self-defeating. Yes. Well, yeah.
0: It says, hey, the sales coach is, you know, if you're if you're a really good sales coach, maybe you too can become a manager.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which is is really backwards because it should be a parallel position. It should be, you know, it should be a career, not a, a stepping stone. Exactly. exactly. I mean, I use the example, and people who listen are probably tired of, of hearing this, but the example of um, sports. Yeah, because that's a performance-based, you know, professional sports, performance-based profession, right? Yep. And the closest analog there is analogy there is to to uh, to sales. And you look at the coaching staffs and what they do, and increasingly, you know, they've specialized. You know, they have physical performance, they have mental performance coaches, physical performance coaches in multiple dimensions. One's health and nutrition, the other's strength. You know, you just look at the coaching staff of almost any professional sports organization, it's radically different than what it was years ago when it was, you know, a couple of position coaches and so on. Now right. they've got all these specialists. And they make a career out of being those specialists oftentimes. So it's like, isn't that a model for what we should be doing in sales? Is let's have these specialized roles, you know, the sort of the the height of it, <laughs> which is still a little controversial in 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 soccer land, but you know, Liverpool, it's my favorite club in soccer, yep, yep. they have a coach that's paid just to coach throw-ins. Really? Yeah. Now, he's one of the few that have done that, but others are coming along because they found that there is a tactical advantage to being able to execute certain uh, plays and motions, if you will, off of a throw-in Yeah. that lead to you know, higher, you know, the statistic that of expected goals that lead to an uh, expected goal rating of a certain shot. And it's like, well, we can do something like that. But I think it's there's, we have just sort of reluctance to invest. It, that, you know, the study that we all have seen about sales coaching is uh, what, 18% uplift in performance through effective coaching on individual performance through effective coaching. Mm-hmm. 18% pays for a lot of coaches. Yes, it does. I mean, every time somebody says, well, we can't afford that, it's like, well, look, (laughs) can we afford not to, given the state of things right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, state of things being, again, we've all seen the reports, roughly only 50% of reps make their quota year after year, yada, yada, yada. It's like something should change. Absolutely. All right, I'm just trying to blow everything up.
0: Well, that's your that's your
1: uh, professional role, responsibility. <laughs> yeah, muckraker. But it's it's true though. I think that we're just stuck. You know, what we've done is we've taken this layer of technology and put it over sales, and we said, "Oh, this changed everything." And in reality, it's changed nothing. Yep.
0: I don't disagree with that. But uh, you know, speaking of uh, speaking of coaches, yes, uh, and coachability, yes. So I was reading. Jay Wright, who is the head men's head basketball coach at Villanova University, yep, he has a motto that he uses in recruiting players. Now he's, by the way, one, been their head coach for almost twenty years, mm-hmm. won two national
1: championships. Yep. So, an accomplished coach, he says. Yeah, for a tiny, tiny, <laughs> a tiny Catholic school on the East Coast, yes. He hires. He looks for
0: players who are both. Hungry and humble, for coachable. He he says, "I will only hire coachable people." How does he find a coachable salesperson or she's coachable basketball player? He looks for players who are hungry and humble. And I think, you know, the hungry part we all get, right? That's somebody who's goal-oriented, driven, and all that kind of stuff. We get that. But the humble, you know, I would think that Coach Wright would want, you know, somebody who's bold and brash, self-confidence to overcome. Uh, any difficulties, but Coach Wright has a great insight here. He says that uh, humility is essential to coachability. It's a prerequisite, according to Coach Wright. That and and when you think about it, you you kind of agree because it's a, the humility is is the is hey maybe I'm not as good as I can be, and so. Then I started thinking about, well, geez, maybe sales managers should start looking for candidates that have a little more humility, following Coach Wright's guidance on this. And how do you how do you spot that in an interview process? And I know I think the answer, one of the answers, is 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 to find is to ask a, a candidate, tell me about the biggest loss. And if the candidate kind of blames external factors or, uh, or other reasons as to why they lost the deal, you know, pricing is too high, those types of things, that's probably not a candidate with the humility to recognize that they are part of the reason that they lost that deal, a lack of skills or a lack of application or execution of their what they're company taught them to do led them to to lose. I don't know. What what do you think about that? It's a humility issue.
1: Yeah, well I think it's a specific type of humility. And so when I was reading that that quote from Coach Wright, it's it struck me as that, and I think this is is oftentimes the case in sales and in hiring and so on, is is that yeah, we want somebody that's humble in the sense of, you know, being self-effacing and and modest and so on. That's great, but I think in these cases, what we're really talking about is intellectual humility, mm-hmm. and which is the ability to acknowledge there are things they don't know, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. in in a player, I think that's what Coach was right was really talking about. It's it's players that that have that that sense that yeah, I can there are a lot of things I don't know that well. If I learn, will help me get better. You know, and I, and I think back to. Actually, something I posted on LinkedIn a couple weeks ago, which is still going strong in terms of people reacting to it and commenting on it, was a a quote from Kobe Bryant about sort of what he thought was the most important attribute he brought to the game in terms of improvement. And he said, Curiosity. Mm. So it wasn't, wasn't spending extra hours in the gym and so on, it was curiosity to learn more about how to, you know, the strategy, tactics, moves, skills, whatever. Is never being satisfied that that you know that you that you know it all, right? And, and I I love this sort of juxtaposition that someone told me recently, which I've been reusing a lot, <laughs> is that you know you want people who are learn it alls not know it alls.
0: <laughs> well, I think your example of the Liverpool coach who specializes in throwing the ball in mm-hmm. is 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 a great example of that. I mean. Uh wow. Think about all those players that that thought they knew it all. And <laughs> and then all of a sudden a coach came along that specializes in throwing in the ball. I mean, maybe there's some more things about something I've been doing all my life <laughs> that I don't know. Hmm, I wonder what this guy
1: or gal can teach me. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And this is this is see this is what I think managers oftentimes are afraid of. Right? Is the idea that they're put in these jobs And again, they presume their managers think that they are the experts. And therefore, if they have to ask for help, they're somehow weak. And this is played out for years in sales. And it's just ridiculous. We can't expect front-line managers or directors or even VPs to be the font of all knowledge about human performance. So you you have to be able to open up and be in an environment where you'd say, yeah, there's so no many things I want to learn about this. We need more specialists brought in to help us, and I and I think that for me at least, as I look at sort of the future of sales is and sales management, it's more specialization that can be a you know, more specific benefit to individual contributors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think that's. Spot on,
0: and I All think right. that if you have salespeople who are coachable because hey we're providing better quality kit sales coaching, yes, I think that coachability is a
1: prerequisite for absolutely. what absolutely absolutely that's uh, that is yeah, that is the you know, part of the equation is if we're going to move to a direction where where we're providing greater specialization, more fine-tuned specialization on certain roles and skills, mindset and so on, in helping our sellers get better, you've got to hire someone who's coachable. Otherwise you're wasting it.
0: Yeah, you're you're wasting it. And obviously from the salesperson's perspective, if your company can help them get better faster, help them increase their income and and be more of achieve more of what they want faster then they're going to become loyal. I mean, like you mentioned earlier Andy about you know, you ask sellers, you know, what what helped who helped you the most and they report they relate back to one of their previous sales managers that had a huge impact on them and and mm-hmm. you know, that's that's maybe, you know, that's the manager that we still think of and mine was Guy Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> you know and I stayed with that company for 10 years and and he was he was one of the reasons uh, that helped me along in, in the early phase of my sales career so uh, you know we, yeah, all have, uh,
1: we all have those yeah yeah actually in <laughs> two weeks from when this is being recorded so it'll be after this is is published but uh yeah my my guest on the show is going to be my first sales manager.
0: No, that's great.
1: Yeah, so um, he just—he's not going to ask you for a call report, is he? No, no, that's funny. I should have asked that. Um, but he just retired from a sales career as uh, a very successful career as a senior executive um, at HP, and and uh, yeah, but it was fun reconnecting because yeah, he had a big influence on me. So, all right, Kevin, we've run out of time. But uh, tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. Well, uh, our website
0: is called toplineleadership.com and um, I'm the author of a book called The Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, uh, which is available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. And um, by the time you listen to this, we'll have released our new Sales Manager's Guide to Great online course where sales managers can get the education that is so important to uh, to becoming a, a great sales manager. I think that you know it takes a great sales manager to build a successful sales team, and um, you know. So for a limited time, we're offering a free lesson on deal coaching. You know, what are the three steps to having better pre-call strategizing conversations mm-hmm. with your salespeople? Um, so, uh, if you go to toplineleadership.com, you'll find your way to, to the free lesson and uh, check Perfect. it out.
1: And there's 36 more after that. So, All right. Self-directed coaching, as we talked about. <laughs> all right, yeah. Kevin, thank you very much and look forward to doing it again. Andy, thanks so much. You take care. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, we're so grateful for your support of the show And I want to thank my guest, Kevin Davis, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.